beautiful. Awesome. Well, good evening, Purpose Church. So good to see you. It's, uh, it's officially fall. So in case you're new to Purpose Church, thanks, Will. Uh, one of the ways in which we, uh, we know that it is officially fall around here is when Elise breaks out her boots. <laughs> if you don't know who Elise is, Elise is this uh, incredibly beautiful young lady here on my left. Uh, she is single, but you have to literally go through, uh, through me. Uh, to get to her. So um, if you'd like an opportunity, you could schedule a meeting with me, uh, and uh, you'd have to do that through her first, which is awesome. So Elise is uh, not only our assistant, she oversees uh, our hospitality team, she serves on our board, uh, and she pretty much just is a gift from heaven. Um, and so if she brings her boots out, then you know it is officially fall. So I got the memo. I cheated a couple weeks ago and brought them out just as a tease, and uh, I feel like it's official. I can, uh, I can, you know. Somebody asked me the other day, do you own any other shoes besides white Vans? <laughs> I do, actually. I am quite, uh, have quite the shoe uh, collection. But, you know, the thing is, is that I had boys. And now that I have boys, their feet are m my size, and they keep stealing my shoes. And um, so if you pray for me, uh, maybe pray for them that I don't, you know, throw them out of the car and ask them to find me some new ones. But anyway, it's good to see you. You guys feeling good? How awesome was that? Our first baby dedication for Purpose Church. Little Kelton, give uh, Eric and Crystal a hug. Uh, beautiful family here to celebrate with them. So good to have you guys. Many, some of you I know, some of you I don't. I look forward to meeting you afterwards, and uh, I've heard so many great things about you. Uh, it's an honor to have you guys with us tonight. Uh, here we are. We're in uh, week five of our Disciple Series, and um, if it's okay with you, we're going to jump right in. I do want to give a special shout-out to the Denver Broncos. We officially figured out how to win. Uh, I figured out the formula. We had to go out of the country, and we had to play before 10 uh, uh, a.m. And uh, if we start the game before 10 a.m. and we play in London, the chances are we might find a way to win a game are pretty good. Uh, if you don't know, I am a, 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 am a true diehard Denver Broncos fan. There, I know I have a lot of teams that I support. There is no other team for me besides that one. Uh, it's no question, without, without a doubt. Jason was like, literally, you watch the whole game. Yes. Just like you watch every Georgia game. Yes. It's just how we do it, man. Uh, I didn't have that growing up, so Denver's it for me. And uh, I was thankful that they got to play this morning so I could watch them. Uh, amen. All right, here we go. Week five, we're in our Disciple Series. And uh, I, I, I want to jump right in so that we can cover all of the bases tonight and um, get you guys out of here at a reasonable time. Uh, unless you're my wife, you pack some snacks uh, for everybody. Um, I want to make sure that you get home to eat uh, tonight. Uh, Matthew 28 and 19, it says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, it says, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I, I want to uh, just really quickly circle back to, to one of the words that are really important for us out of the text, in which uh, has inspired and, and really drives us as a church to to be focused and committed to making disciples. The Bible says in verse 20 to teach. And, and what this word is really trying to articulate and help us to understand is that teaching is a means by which disciples of Jesus are continually transformed in order to become more like Jesus. Jesus is saying, hey, as I have taught you, as I have shown you, now I want you to go and do likewise. I want you to go, now that you've modeled a life after me, you've become more like me, I want you to now go, therefore, and teach to, to, to new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. I want you to help them to continually be transformed into being more like me. That is the journey that we're on. That is the ultimate goal. That is what this is all about, to know Jesus and discover that he has a purpose for your life is simply so that we can be transformed by him and be more like him here on earth. Pastor Katie said, we're not trying to get earth to heaven. We're trying to see heaven invade the earth. And the way that we do that is by becoming more like Jesus. That's what a disciple, a learner, a pupil is. And so we're on a journey of discovering or trying to learn how to become more like Jesus, to be true followers of Jesus, not just in belief, but also in practice. And in order to understand what it means to become a follower of Jesus or to learn more so specifically how to be a follower of Jesus, we've asked some questions. Who are called to be disciples? Very simply, we all are. 
Those of us who say, those of us who commit our life to following him, that ask him into our life, that ask for forgiveness of our sins and uh, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, who have been baptized, are now followers of Jesus. And as a result of that, he calls us all followers. He calls us all his disciples. Not cult-like, but in full life-like. And so what's beautiful about that is that in being a disciple of Jesus, then he's gifted us and equipped us all with gifts so that we might go into the specific places and spaces in which he's called us to go and do the same thing, make disciples. So the first question was, who's called to make disciples? We all are, you, me, and everyone in between. The second question that we've been asking are, what are the commands he instructs them to teach? And where do we find them? Well, for us, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Or, or better say, we've been looking and learning from Jesus specifically in his famous Sermon on the Mount. And what we've been discovering about this Sermon on the Mount is that it is not an idea of what heaven looks like. It's not even an idea of what heaven will be like. It's rather a pattern in which we can experience heaven here on earth. It's a series of teachings and patterns that, that show us, that help us, that teach us what it would be like to see heaven invade the earth. And I came to this kind of self-discovery as I've been studying along the way with you. Just as a point of reference, I have been learning and growing and being stretched in this series uh, I wouldn't say more than you because I'm not going to compare myself to you, but simply I will tell you I have been without question challenged in this series as much as I've ever been in any series I've taught. And one of the things that, I, that really just literally smacked me in the face is that Jesus is really, and I, I wanted to, I, it literally was on the way to church tonight. I, I wrote it down so that I wouldn't miss it. Jesus has been helping us to see what a community that is committed to helping others see Jesus and know Jesus look like. That's what he's been doing. He's been opening up our eyes so that we might be able to see what a community that is deeply and committed to following Jesus in belief and practice, living out its purpose would actually look like. How, how they would respond how they, would, how they would engage, how they would love, how, how when pressure comes, the, the way in which they would push through the pressure and overcome it. He's, he's giving us a glimpse, and I, and I kind of envisioned it like this, like we're coming up on Christmas, and you know the Ebenezer Scrooge story, right? Like they go on this journey of kind of showing uh, Ebenezer all of these moments where he was quite a tool. Sorry. Is that too honest? Sorry. Please forgive me. I just I speak honestly sometimes and I get ahead of myself. But inevitably, what happens is he goes on this journey showing them throughout all of these moments in life where he was short with somebody. He was mean to somebody. He was rude to somebody. And what I envisioned in this moment where Jesus is pulling his disciples together is he's literally taking them on this walkabout. And he said, hey, guys, I want to give you a glimpse. You never like see a movie or a show where they show you the ending at the beginning. Like, I kind of like those. I used to get so mad. I'm like, well, it's over now. I'm just going to sit here the whole time and try to figure out how they got to this moment. But I've come to realize that, quite honestly, I enjoy them. And, and here I am reading this story again from beginning to end. And, and I imagine that that's kind of what Jesus is doing. He's like, hey, guys, I want to give you a glimpse of what this kind of community we're, we're aspiring to become. I want to give you a glimpse of what's possible through a life devoted to me. And so he comes out of the gate swinging with these beatitudes. And he's like, guys, look at all these people. And just, just for a second like let's just revisit it for for literally like 60 seconds he says he says uh, blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who mourn blessed are the meek blessed are those who hunger blessed are those who are merciful blessed are the pure in heart blessed are the peacemakers blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utterly and utter all kinds of evil against you just because you've committed to following me yet even still blessed are these people it's like come what may the world could throw everything at you including the kitchen sink and the picture of what the kingdom of heaven or what citizens of heaven or what it looks like for heaven and evade the earth would be a people with a beatitude kind of attitude 
And then he goes on to say, he's, he, he says, well, then if that's not enough, let me show you the kind of people that would preserve the earth and would bring light into the darkest places. In other words, he's saying, let me just walk you around some people that as you just engage them, they bring some flavor to your life. They, they bring some color to your life. They, they bring some lightness to your darkness. And all of a sudden, he's just painting this beautiful picture about the community that we could become. And he says, I know for a long time there's been a lot of speculation about what I intended with these group, these, this list of laws. You see, the funny thing is, every time I read scripture, I find that God always follows up with everything I created was meant to be good. I've always wanted everything to be good. But yet here we find a, a group of people that took what I intended to be good to be some guiding principles to help them come out of a season of slavery and walk in some form of consistency and with some discipline and yet people humanity wanted to take what I intended to be good and make a bunch of rules and regulations out of them and as a result here's all these people impressing upon and forcing us into and hoping that we'll be able to live up to all these expectations all these rules and all these regulations and Jesus is like hey in case we get it twisted at any point I just want to clear something up I came to bring fulfillment to all of those things I came to bring completion to your life. And so if you're living incomplete for any reason, if you're doubting whatsoever, if you have the means to, to be a beatitude kind of person or bring light or salt to the earth, then let me just encourage you for just a moment that it will be through me that there will be full completion in everything that I have for you and everything I set out for you. It's like this beautiful, this beautiful walk with Jesus where he's just like, hey, this is the kind of community we're, we're after. This is what we're really trying to accomplish. He, he's trying to help us to see what causes us from being formed into this kind of community. He's helping us to see what the outside looks like of those who commit to a life full in full pursuit of him. You see, what I love about the, the Sermon on the Mount is he's focusing on what the community would look like. And then all of a sudden what we see is that he begins to identify some things on the inside of us that might be keeping us from becoming the very community he desires for us to be. You see, this teaching is so radical, and it transforms everything we know and believe. But to learn it and to begin to practice it, it requires a willingness to see it with a fresh perspective. And I believe that it's in this teaching that Jesus offers us and his disciples just that, a fresh perspective. An opportunity to have an out-of-body experience, if you will. I know that sounds really weird. We're not trying to like create any of those kind of out-of-body experiences. I don't think any of us really want that. But for the record, let's just envision that that's what Jesus is inviting us to. He's inviting us into a place and a space where we can get a new perspective, where our eyes can be open and our ears can be attentive and our hearts can be softened in such a way that we can actually envision being this type of community that has the kind of attitude towards humanity like Jesus outlines in the Beatitudes. If we could be the kind of people that bring salt and light to the earth, that when they interact with us, engage with us, that they feel preserved, they feel flavored, they feel awakened, they feel encouraged, they feel like the very best is bringing brought out in them. And all of a sudden, every dark place that they've ever experienced in life is now becoming illuminated simply because they've understood, they've been invited to becoming salt and light in the earth. And if there was ever a doubt that we couldn't live up to a set of rules, we could find completion in no one else but Jesus because he came to die and rise again so that we could experience the fullness of life. And so here we are now in this week where we're entering into what uh, Dallas Willard, if you've never heard of him, he's a great writer and speaker and teacher. Um, he's kind of like the godfather, if you will, uh, for me. I just love to just sit and listen to him. He says that we're now entering into the fundamental issues of the time. We go from beatitudes to salt and light to the fulfillment of the law, and now we enter into what he says are the fundamental issues of the time. And I believe might also be the most fundamental issues of our time. And as I read through these, these issues, and as, and as I often do, I like to peek ahead to the ending because that's what Jesus did at the beginning. So I peeked ahead just to see what Jesus says at the conclusion of this section of his sermon. And I thought it was important to note this so we can get full context of what we're about to talk about and discover over these next several weeks in this portion of his sermon. He says this in uh, Matthew 5 and verse 48, be perfect. 
Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, if you're like me, I'm kind of thinking, well, perfect. I, I thought there was only one perfect person ever, and that was Jesus. That is true. But like everything, like everything, we have to remember that there's a translation to it. That the Bible in its original format was written in Hebrew and Greek, and then we take it into American and English uh, translation, and often we don't necessarily get the fullness of what the word is intended to mean. And so in this case, the word perfect translated in Greek to English is the word teleos. And what that word actually means is something that is mature or complete. Something that has reached its goal or fulfilled its purpose. So if Jesus comes to fulfill the law and he says, I am the completion of the law and all of the things that the prophets said about me. And now I want to direct my attention to the inward matters that are keeping us from experiencing this kind of community, this kind of life as disciples. Then I want you to understand what the goal is. The goal is so that we might be fully mature and complete in him. Something that has reached its goal or its full purpose or its full potential in him. So to understand what Jesus meant when he said, be teleos, be perfect, be complete, be fulfilled in your purpose, we need to remember what God told the Israelites, his chosen people, earlier on in Leviticus. Where you think, gosh, we got to go all the way back there. I think it's important to do. For us to get a full picture of God's plan for humanity through Jesus, we have to get a full picture of how God saw us. And he says this in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 2, he says, you must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. I find it fascinating. We can look at the Old Testament. We can also look at the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And he says this in 1 verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You know, I've been preaching that you're not perfect gospel for a long time, but when I read this, my goodness, it sure does sound like that God's original intention was that we would be considered holy and without fault in his eyes. Can Just for a second, if you're a parent, I know that our, our kids aren't perfect, but isn't there those moments where we look at them and go, man, you are amazing. You are perfect. You are the joy of our eye. You are the apple of our eye. You bring so much fulfillment and so, so much hope and so much promise to our life. I'm standing there looking at little Kelton as we're dedicating him to the Lord, and I'm thinking, this baby is perfect. He's perfect. I mean, what's the worst he does? He He's got diarrhea. He burps a couple times. Maybe he cries a little bit. I haven't heard him cry a single time. He's perfect. And you think, well, Pastor, how could you say that? Nobody's perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. You're right. But this tells me that God sees you and me before we did anything wrong. And he says, you would, are going to be holy and without fault in my eyes. You are my son and my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I want you to understand something. We are not going to be perfect people. But through Jesus, we can be complete, full people. Through Jesus... Through the sacrifice that he made, we can be reminded that God loved us and he chose us in Christ, through Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You see, to be holy is to be set apart for God's purposes. Throughout Scripture, we see and read about God's idea of holiness. Let me just give you some examples. For, for instance, the Sabbath was holy because God set it apart as a day of worship and rest. The tabernacle or the temple were holy because they were set apart as a place for people to worship and to experience the presence of God. Priests and Levites were holy because God set them apart for this for his service. Israel was holy because God had chosen them to be his people. Remember, Israel became the people of God. In case you didn't know that, that's how God viewed Israel. He wanted them to understand that, that he, they were chosen, that they were special to him, that they were called out. They were set apart for his purposes. And he, he, he just wanted us to understand right throughout Scripture. I've said this once. I've said it a hundred times. I've read the Bible cover to cover now four times. And every time I read it, I come to the same conclusion. There's a couple, but this is one. That God will do whatever it takes for you and I to have an encounter and experience and come to know the love that he has for us. Just the way we are. 
That's all he wants. He wants to have a love affair with his sons and his daughters. You, you see, through Jesus, now we're learning not about rules and regulations. We're actually not learning about laws, but rather about the spirit and the heart of the Father for us. And he is guiding and directing us. He's teaching us, by the way, just in case anybody's wondering, the word law is Torah. And that word is actually translated to be teacher, teachings, learnings, directings. He's teaching us, he's directing us, he's guiding us on how to live and to lead a more complete and holy life. Isn't that fascinating? That's what Jesus is inviting us into. He's helping us to see what this kind of community could look like. He's shown us the end before we get there. He said, hey guys, we're about to go on a journey, let me show you some things. And at the end, he says, now go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all the commandments that I've taught you. And he says, let me show you what it would look like. Now let me teach you how to get there. Dallas Willard goes as far as to say, Jesus isn't teaching a theory. He's founding a community of redemption. And his project is to change people from the inside out. I think it's worth repeating one more time. He's, he says that Jesus isn't coming, he's not sitting, he's not calling them up to the mountain to teach a theory. He's founding a community of redemption. And his project is to change people from the inside out. And what I've discovered in this journey, in this portion of his teaching, the first step to redemption in this project that Jesus is on, this project of change is the matter of anger. It's a matter of anger. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, halfway through chapter 5. We've only got two and a half more chapters to go. Next week, we're going to cover uh, the majority of the remainder of five. So just, just hang out with us. It's going to be great. We're going to learn some things. But more important, I think we're going to be set free of some things. We're going to be encouraged in some things. We're going to be healed of some things. And we're going to learn just what Jesus really intended, what God really intended all along, and that was for us to live a more complete and full life. He says this in verse 21. He says, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors. I don't have time for this, but if you want to just do a little study between the difference of what Jesus says here, he says, you have heard that it was said. And then I'll, I'll, I'll have you circle the second portion of that because it'll be just a good study for you. Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. You might find some correlation to also the, the original Ten Commandments here as we go through these next few uh, passages of Scripture together as Jesus is teaching about the matters of the heart, really, essentially, is what's happening here. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, and then he goes on to say, but I tell you. In other words, I know what they've said, and I know what you've heard them say, but, but let, me, let me bring some direction and some clarity to, to what was really intended here. I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. There's so much to unpack there. But what I really want to focus on tonight for just the last few minutes that we have together is, is really what I think that Jesus is after, and that is the truth about anger. The teaching specifically around anger. The word anger is Greek for ergos, ergos which is defined as to make angry, to irritate, to provoke, or to, or to anger, or to annoy, or to frustrate. Or to get under your skin. James says this in James 1 and 20. He says, the anger of a man, said James, does not work 
the righteousness of God. Or maybe another way of saying it is, the anger of man does not work with or within the righteousness of God. You see, I found that anger is the most fundamental problem in human life. Hence why Jesus starts with it. It is especially the case in the effort to transform people from the inside out. Not yet. That was the first one. I just realized I told Steve that was the line to come back up because that's what we do in the beginning. Like we have these cues, unspoken cues. So, you know, we're not like doing like this baseball signals like. <laughs> Anger is, is the most fundamental problem in human life, hence why I believe Jesus starts with it. I find it fascinating, to be honest with you, that Jesus starts with anger. And I think it's especially the case as it, as it relates to the effort in transforming people from the inside out. I mean, think about it when somebody is hangry, just as an example. Probably me. Like, how impossible is it to get them to calm down when they're hangry? Like, has anybody had a hangry issue you know, you get so hangry, it doesn't matter what people throw at you, Snickers bar, a, a, a sub sandwich from Publix, it doesn't matter. You just, it's like, it's a process to get you to come down off just how hangry you are. I was talking about this earlier this week, like, think about the horn, for example. Like, even just honking the horn these days, you second guess honking the horn because you're like, if I just give a little toot, they're still going to get mad at you. If I lay on it, they're going to turn around and they're going to give you, you know, the number one finger. And in some cases, like seriously, I know this is scary, but there's places in the world and especially in our country where you honk at somebody, they get out and pull a gun out on you. Like, let's just be honest. We're talking about food and we're talking about a horn. And, and we can agree that those two things have, have some power to cause us to be angry. We haven't even got any real issues in life. And so as Jesus starts with anger, I find it to be fascinating that he does so because I do believe that it is the most fundamental problem in human life. And what I find to be so fascinating specifically about anger and in and, and, and relation to these fundamental problems is that the law was addressing the outward result or issues of murder. Hence why people were angry. It resulted in murder and the penalty thereof. However, Jesus desires for us to look deeper, to look at the posture of our hearts so that we might be able to avoid the outward result. See, if we don't get deep on the inside within the hurt and the pain that is causing us to feel the way we feel, then the outward result will always be some of these things that Jesus is addressing. If we can't get to the matters of the heart, then is it possible that we'll ever be able to experience the kind of community that Jesus is trying to form here in this moment? And I think that it's, it's quite fascinating that even in this teaching, these, these two things specifically are the result of anger. Let me just remind you of what was said earlier. It says, whoever insults, your translation might say raka. Like, don't, don't, don't name your son or daughter Raka. It, it might sound like a cool biblical word, but let me just tell you what it means. It expresses contempt for someone's intelligence. Like, have you ever said, you idiot, nitwit, blockhead, numbskull, you bonehead? Like, I said that to my son yesterday, and I'm teaching on this thing. Don't be a bonehead. Oh, man, I just did it to myself. Whoever insults, who, who, whoever is contempt for someone's intelligence. I, I want to be very clear that there are two forms of anger, by the way. There's the kind of anger that causes us and invokes change. Like there's some good anger that can do some really powerful and amazing things but we're talking about the kind of anger that festers the kind of anger that turns from a speck into a log as the bible says and and we just don't really know why we're always angry you know those you come on you've met those people like i really wanted to call my message you mad bro but i figured i might offend some people that but you know like they just look mad like angry like why are you always angry man and the second thing that results in anger is whoever says you fool. Like, you know, you say, like, don't be a fool. Like, you're being foolish. What we're saying, though, is that we're contempt for someone's character. 
Anybody know what the word content means? The feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. I know. I know, I'm sorry. It's, it's all in Scripture. It's all here. It's, it's, it's here. So in other words, to insult someone, to, in, to doubt their intelligence, or to call someone a fool, to show contempt for their character, is evidence that a person's heart is angered. It's also true that someone who, who, whose intelligence has been doubted or whose character has been questioned would result in anger. True, this confession. This happened to me this week. I got a text message and then had another call, and I just had a few moments this week where, where, where I was feeling like my intelligence was being doubted. My character was being questioned. And, 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 it, and it caused me to, to stop and to think, like, why? More so specifically, I could tell that I was becoming angry. Like, some of you know this, but I have an anxiety issue. Like, I deal with anxiety, and I've been uh, working really, really hard uh, at, 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 through that process of getting healed, and I believe that I can be healed, and, and I've taken medication for my anxiety, but I've been off of it for a long time because I feel like I've been healed until this week. Let me just say, I pulled my medicine out of the cabinet, and I said, I'm going to take one of these. Because here's what happens is that an anxiety attack happens, and all of a sudden, anger starts to well up, and it starts to take root in my heart. And if I don't deal with it, if I don't address it, if I don't do something with it, then it has the power to be a speck. And we know what happens when specks take root. They quickly become logs. And so it happened to me. I I imagine that it's possible that it might happen to you from time to time. So how do we temper anger? How do we keep from being angry? You see, I think that what we're doing right now in the world is we're trying to uh, do behavior modification. We're attempting in the world to, to, to modify behaviors, which, to be quite honest with you, I think is always centered around the outward situations in life, like circumstance, job, family, marriage. Like, like I know somebody that recently was just encouraged by their counselor to get a divorce. Like, that's situational modification. Like, we, we haven't even gotten to the matters of your heart, and we're just talking about, hey, this, it's cheaper to get a new one. Like, you're better off starting over. Like, who says that? Well, the world does. No fault to them. It's just the world. It's kind of the standard. So we're focused on behavior modification. However, I think what Jesus is teaching is that our aim can't be to modify behavior I think that's exactly what the scribes tried to do by creating rules and regulations of the laws. Which, let me, in on, let, me on a, let you in on a little secret, led to more anger. You know, like when somebody puts rules and regulations around you and you just seem like you can't live up to them? You're never going to accomplish them. You're never going to be seen as somebody who's able to live up to that kind of expectation. There's a seed of anger that comes on the inside of you. I think instead we have to aim to change from the inside out. We have to aim at the heart. And I think that when what is on the inside changes, when our hearts are transformed, our behaviors begin to change. What happens on the inside, when, when, when our heart begins to get healthy, when, when our soul begins to get refreshed, when, when we begin to focus on the, the very disciplines that, that Jesus lays out for us throughout Scripture, and we begin to practice them, it's not just so we can check off the box. It's actually so that we can address the matters of the heart, so that on the inside we can be completely transformed, which all, by the way, happens to bring such a beauty and a saltiness and a lightness and a beatitudeness to the exterior of your life. Your response to people is not short and tempered. Your response to people is joy and hopeful because you have something on the inside of you that's happened that has brought healing deep down in your heart that has left you with this response of like it's going to be fine have you ever met steve burkholder he is the it's going to be fine guy it'll be fine dallas dallas willard says that that kind of change can only happen by biblical principles I believe that, 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 that in order for us to, to really see transformation, change from the inside out, 
we have to do it through biblical principles. He says that dis- dis- disciplines enable us to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Disciplines enables, like this isn't operation. You know, pull the thing out of the box, get the little tweezers out and go, oh, that's not working. Let's just take that out. Like you can't just directly go in and start dissecting the matters of the heart. The only way that we can truly identify what's hurt, what's broken, what's really angering us is through biblical disciplines. In other words, we can't directly change our hearts. Only Jesus can. And the way we allow Jesus to change our hearts is through practicing disciplines. Disciplines like solitude. I've sat in more silence and solitude this week than I have in quite some time. Why? Because I realized some things were welling up anger on the inside of me. Well, how do I deal with it? Well, I'm going to get silent and I'm just going to sit in solitude. For some of you, you're like, man, that sounds really awful. I get it. It used to be for me, too. It's not like, you know, tomorrow morning, wake up and go, man, I'm really angry. I'm going to sit for an hour in silence. You're going to be more angry. I promise you after after minute five, if you make it that far. You're going to be angry at me for challenging you to even do it. Be like, I'm pastor. You told me that this would work. Next week, you're going to show up here, and you're going to be like, I did it. And I'm going to go, you're right. Because if you've never done one minute, don't try five. Just start with a minute. Disciplines like worship. Maybe, maybe you do love worship music, but for whatever reason, you've been listening more to, to some hip-hop in the world or some latest country music of the world, and there's nothing wrong with that. But maybe, just maybe, replace some of that with some worship music and find yourself feeling a little bit more at peace. Maybe it's time for you to open your Bible and actually start reading it. Or maybe you've just gotten a little bit distracted the last several weeks and you haven't been reading it as often. Maybe the one your Bible plan sounded really good to start, but you're like, gosh, this is hard. It is. It takes discipline. But discipline is the thing that has the power to transform your heart, even when you don't realize it. There's a song we sing. We know you're working when we can't see it. We know you're working when when we don't feel like it. But I promise you, if you be disciplined, he'll work on your behalf. Meditating on his word. Prayer. And maybe for some of us, it's fasting. Disciplines, which we're learning to become, or disciples, excuse me, which we're learning to become in belief and practice, aim to modify, not, not to aim to modify behavior, but to modify our anger from the inside out. Being disciples, learning to become closer to Jesus or more like Jesus in belief and practice, our aim is not to modify our exterior behaviors. Our aim is to modify our anger from the inside out. Can I ask you a really honest and bold question? Are you mad? Are you angry? Have you been angry? Are you feeling annoyed? Maybe even by this talk, you're kind of annoyed. That's good anger. That's anger that leads to change. But I'm talking about the kind of anger that's been lingering for a while. I find it interesting because over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about things like uh, adultery, lust, divorce. We're going to talk about uh, being, a, being a person who keeps a promises or oaths. Uh, we're, going to, uh, we're going to talk about retaliating or retaliation towards people. We're going to talk about loving our enemies. Gosh, I have a hard time loving my kids sometimes. You want me to love my enemies too? My goodness. You see, it's interesting to me, though. It's worth saying, again, Jesus starts with anger because I think if we can deal with anger, I think the power for lust or adultery to take root in our life is is really, really harder. It becomes harder and harder to to see happen or fulfill. The, the, The idea of divorce becomes less of a reality the 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 idea of of breaking a promise or retaliating towards somebody that you're once close to becomes less likely simply because we've just been willing to recognize that maybe there are some things we're annoyed by we're irritated by and if we deal with them accordingly and we get before the lord and we and we lay him down at his feet the the power that that is available to us through the holy spirit to bring healing and reconciliation to our life would would without question listen i'm not talking about living an easy life I'm just saying the more we become like Jesus, the easier it is for us to overcome some of these challenges. 
overcome some of these adversities, the, the more like Jesus we become. Listen, if I was being honest with you, a year ago, what happened to me this week I, would have set me off. I would have been in a spiral for a long time. But see, the closer we get to Jesus, the, the, the easier it becomes to identify the things that cause us to be angry and, and then knowing how to effectively deal with it. Well, first and foremost, go to the Lord and pray. Sit in silence and solitude. Get on the phone with a trusted friend or an advisor, maybe a pastor or, or, or a leader, somebody that's going to elevate your faith. Meet you where you are, but then challenge you to elevate your faith. If you're married and, you're, and, you're, and your relationship with your wife or your husband is good, get with your spouse. I got with Katie right away, and I said, hey, these are some things that are bothering me. I need you to stand with me in prayer. I'm not saying that this is going to be easy. I'm saying it can get easier if you just practice and you discipline yourself to pursue Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, which, oh, by the way, he summarizes that all of the commands and all the laws are summarized in two very, very incredible things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Maybe let me ask it to you this way. Has, has someone insulted you or questioned your intelligence? Has someone called you a fool or questioned your character? Maybe you've insulted or questioned someone else's intelligence or character. Maybe you're sitting here right now, you're like, oof, man, I didn't think that that was that bad. But when you put it like that, <laughs> I don't want to be an angry person. Well, listen, listen, this is between you and the Lord. Tonight's the night you get to identify it. You get to lay it down. You get to practice the discipline. It's just prayer might be standing in solitude for a moment, even though we might worship or, 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 or pray something over you. This is your opportunity to get before the Lord and say, ah, gosh, that happened, and I didn't realize it. I, I don't want to be angry. Because you might be sitting here thinking, yeah, it was no big deal. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was kind of a minor thing. It's not, it's not an issue. And that may be true for the moment. But enough no big deals over time that go undealt with will begin to mount up and what was a speck will quickly lead to a log full of no big deals and a life full of anger. As I said before, anger is the most fundamental problem in human life. It is why Jesus starts this teaching with it. I think it is truly because anger that is properly healed has the ability to help us avoid lust and adultery. I didn't say completely overcome it. I just think, I, I think it can help us avoid it. I think it will give us eyes to see it coming. I think it will give us ears to hear it coming. It'll help us to avoid potentially acting out those lusts. We're going to talk about that next week, and, and I, I don't want to get lost in that if necessarily, but I just I want you to understand that if we could deal with anger, then, then maybe, just maybe, we have the opportunity to be more aware of and to avoid and to maybe even overcome some opportunities that the enemy will throw your way. If we can deal with anger, if we can see anger healed in our hearts, then then just maybe it might help preserve our marriages and keep us from breaking our oaths. I believe that anger is, that, that is healed properly will help us to avoid a spirit of retaliation. It will help us to not just love our friends, but also truly start to learn how to love our enemies. Because we're learning to not see them as enemies anymore. Could I ask you to stand with me tonight? Can I ask you this again? Are you mad? Are you angry? Have you questioned? Have you doubted somebody's character, somebody's intelligence? Have, have you felt like yours has been questioned, which has caused you to feel a little, just a little twinge of angry towards them? Maybe it's a lot of anger. Maybe it's just a little anger. Whatever it might be, could, could I just encourage you tonight to not leave here with it? Or could I encourage you tonight to just recognize it and, and allow the Holy Spirit to go to work to bring healing in your heart so that you can be completely free of it? See, here's the thing. Jesus, Jesus wasn't teaching these things so that all of a sudden overnight we'd be this 
beatitude type community. What he, what he was after was, was really establishing and forming a community. And he recognized that that's a process that takes time. But, but the more we can confront some things that are real in our life, that time begins to speed up just a little bit every single moment we face one of these barriers, one of these, these areas, one of these fundamental problems that are keeping us from becoming the kind of community that he's desiring us to be, the kind of community that could see, could experience, and could be, could be, a, to, could be a, a, an assist to him in having heaven invade the earth. If that's you tonight, are, are you angry? Are you mad about something? I just ask you to close your eyes. And if that's you, would you just, just right where you are, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to call you out, just lift your hands. It's just, a, it's just a way in which we're surrendering before the Lord, saying, Lord, I am. You know what, I, I got offended this week. I did challenge, I did judge, I did doubt somebody's intelligence, somebody's character. I felt that. I felt that from somebody, and it caused me to be a little angry. And I didn't realize it, but I do now, and, and I don't want it to become a root in my life, so I want to confront it. Maybe there is some anger that's been building over time. Maybe there is a log of anger that you're finally starting to see now with fresh eyes because you're desiring to be this kind of community. And if that's you, that's okay. Just, just allow the Lord to permission to go to work and begin to heal. We say this all the time. If God begins to reveal things to you, write it down. Pray it out loud. Lay it at his feet and, and allow him to cut a piece of the log off so that it just gets a little lighter the next day. And that's all this is. Are you angry? Are you mad? If that's you, just with every eye closed, just extend your hands to heaven. That's me. I've been a little angry. I've been a little offended. I've been a little hurt. Maybe I'm a lot hurt. And I'm starting to realize it. And I just don't want to be hurt anymore. I don't want to be angry anymore. If that's you tonight, thank you, Jesus. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. This beautiful psalm in Psalm 16 and 8, and it says, I know the Lord is always with me. I want to pray that over you tonight, that you would know that the Lord is always with you. That even right now, when you're feeling unworthy of forgiveness, you're feeling unworthy of his love, you're feeling unworthy of his grace to you, that you would know right now that he is always with you. He's always been with you, and right now more than ever, he wants you to know he is with you even still. And he wants you to know that you do not have to be shaken. You do not have to be shaken to the point where you retreat or retract this moment, but that you allow yourself completely to give into this moment, to be healed of the, of the anger, of the hurt that you've been carrying around, or begin to allow him to go to work on your heart so that you can be healed from the anger and from the hurt that you've been carrying around. He says that he is right beside you. Tonight, I want you to know that, that he is with you, that you don't have to be shaken, and that he is right beside you from this moment forward, from this moment forward. And if you're here tonight and you've never asked Jesus into your life, you've never, you've never received forgiveness, you've never even experienced Jesus up until this moment, something tangible is different for you. There's a, there's a softness to you. There's a, there's a bit of a fear on you, but that's okay. That's a good fear. There's a bit of a, an emotion coming over you. That's okay. That's a healthy emotion. Some of us are being healed of anger. Some of us might be receiving Jesus for the very first time. If that's you tonight, I just want you to simply say these, these words after me. You don't have to say them too loud. You can just say them privately to yourself. But this is just between you and the Lord. If that's you, you've never invited Jesus into your life. You've never experienced this kind of life before. But you can tell that there's something different. That's Jesus knocking on the door of your heart saying, would you let me in? I have a life for you, a full life, a complete life that I want you to live. I've always dreamt. I've always had. I've always desired this for you. And tonight might just be the night. If that's you, just say these words. Jesus, I open the door of my heart to you, and I invite you in. If this is you and you're wanting forgiveness of your anger, you're recognizing that you've been harboring some feelings, some, some annoyances, some, some hurt, say this as well. It has the power to do both because salvation is past, it's present, and it's future, it's future as well. Jesus, I open the door of my heart to you, and I invite you in, and I ask you to heal me, to free me completely 
of all the anger, of all the hurt, of all the brokenness. In this moment, I pray that I be free of it because of you, Jesus, who died on the cross for me so that I might experience full and complete life in no one else but you, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Church, as we close, I want to read this to you. It's uh, Paul's encouragement to Titus in Titus 2, 11. It says, God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation's available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. This new life is starting right now and is whetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people he can be proud of, energetic, and goodness. A people who are free of anger. A disciple who's pursuing Jesus and fulfilling the plan and the purpose that he has for their life. That's who we're becoming in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Purpose Church, we love you. We pray that you have a great and blessed week.